0: I always notice at the end of the meditation that's when your mind is often the clearest and it's lovely to use that clarity of mindfulness to look at your body, look at your mind, understand how it works and also understand just how you can relax this body so easily and how you can energize this mind by doing this meditation. It actually works really well. I've used that my whole life, sometimes being exhausted at my age, traveling and working and just learning just to sit quietly, sit still and have this mind become really, really strong. So you can give nice talks sometimes. (coughs) As you all know, I've been overseas again, but this time to Singapore for a conference and then followed by a nice uh, retreat over in Penang. There's so many people I know over there, so many old friends. And when I was uh, in Singapore to begin with, I met many old friends over there. Ajambamali <laughs> he was over there. <coughs> but one of the men I met over there was one of my very old friends. and. He was the first Buddhist I ever met, and if you were on the uh, the first conference our uh, second conference we had here a few years ago, I managed to invite him to come over here then He was the friend who was the associate of Stephen Hawkins, and the reason why I invited him just to hang out with an old friend but also to make sure that people understood that this Buddhism, it does have a very, very strong sort of scientific foundation behind it. And that's what science was to me, I was always taught. And this was, I think, uh, uh, Francis Bacon, the person who started the uh, Royal Society of Science in UK, said the only way forward in science, it is actually to make a proposition, a hypothesis, and then try your hardest to disprove it. And if it stands, so many wise people, strong intellects, it, su- it survives experimentation, then you can actually know that it's probably true. You can never actually prove something is true, you can only prove it's false which is one of the reasons why the, the way of proving something's false and if it it managed to withstand those tests, then you can hold it as a central pillar of truth. And I always remember that and I always try to include that into my understanding of meditation and also some of the other things which Buddhism taught. You know, just, I mentioned today or rather, uh, Bill mentioned, you know, the recent passing away of uh, our ex treasurer, but a lot of other people have passed away recently. Yesterday, <laughs> I did a, another funeral service, and that was followed by a wedding. I was trying to get another wedding to go to so I could uh, reproduce that movie which was made of two weddings and a funeral. Sometimes you do that as a monk in one day. <laughs> but it's kind of nice to be able to. Do actually to see both in one day, make the best use of them. You know, if somebody passes away, we often do funerals and sometimes the funeral ceremonies, you know, we've made it, if you're a Buddhist and you've been here many times, do it here. This is like your home temple. It's a bit tough on our poor caretakers who have to do extra work here, but I enjoy doing that because this is basically where you got your spiritual training from. But it's also, I, I kind of love the Dhamma, the teaching which happens when we remember someone who's passed away. People come in here, the relations come in, and they say all oh, these amazing stories about them, what they did in their life. And these are some stories which even I didn't know. I think, wow, what a privilege to have known them all these years! It's inspiring. It's like the sum total of a person's life. And it's not done of how much you earned or what sort of degrees you got. It's of like how many friends you made and how you helped and how you served them and how you cared for them. And this is what I always hear of the the food people cook for one another. (laughs) And that's gorgeous. It's something which is real, human, and sort of down to earth. And so I never get bored when I attend funerals. I just love them. The same with a wedding. People are just starting their life together. A lot of times these are people who actually met here. They didn't meet here, they drag each other here because it's good wisdom and good understanding of how to stay together. If any of you uh, are thinking of getting married or have been married, please remember just a simple thing I mean, sometimes you may think that your partner is so perfect, but of course they're not. So instead, oh, the cat's coming. I, oh. Sometimes I kind of like the cat being in, but I know it's not allowed. I'm a rebel too. Because <laughs> sometimes they have these stories in Buddhism of animals who listen to the Buddha talk and They couldn't, you know, understand what the Buddha said, but they got the energy. That was very beautiful. And I said that, no, I'm just really going off on a tangent here because of the cat. <laughs> <laughs> that there was this time when on one of my kind of uh, Ajahn Brahm's parties, it was this year, quite a few years ago, sorry, a few years ago. It was based on. Uh, <laughs> Somebody told me there's a TV show about who wants to be a millionaire and I haven't seen it, I don't know what it does, but I thought that's a good title, Who Wants to be Enlightened? That was the title of my little um, surprise event. Some of you may remember this. We had a few sort of uh, old robes and I got about 10 people to actually dress up in those robes. And just to see how difficult it is, so you don't uh, criticise me when my f- rope falls down <laughs> you know how difficult it is and also to chant and also one of the things I asked them to do, give a one minute Dhamma talk and I thought it was just a bit of fun and games but then there was one kid who, you know, he was also joining in, he was only about 10 or 11 years of age I don't know if any of you remember this, but then he gave this absolutely brilliant Dhamma talk in one or two minutes, surpassed everybody else. And I thought, whoa, where's this coming from? It was beautiful, very deep, absolutely correct. And sometimes it was because uh, his mother and father had been listening to these talks at home, and the kid had been also listening to it, and actually could actually, absorb some of it, much more than the parents could ever expect. And that's why that's sometimes even just coming here. It's amazing how much you absorb. There was Dennis's first partner. You know, she wasn't really a Buddhist, she came here for the fundraising things and for the food. But then when she got sick and was dying, you found out how much a Buddhist she was. She never came to the talk, she's kind of absorbed it in another way. Her wisdom was profound. So that was with that little kid. How he just listened to these teachings and being around calm, peaceful people. How that was absorbed in a much more profound way than I can ever imagine. And that's why when you see a cat outside, if you could sit still, it's amazing even how much a cat can absorb. So because of that, and even little kids bringing them in here, as long as they're quiet and don't disturb anybody, they actually do pick up some wisdom somehow. And it's great to be able to see that and to uh, even the, the girl uh, who got married yesterday, and uh, I did the ceremony I think she first came here off, oh, not coming here, but I went to her house to do a blessing for her father when she was she said five or something. So she's known me since she was five, and when she had any difficulties in her life, she knew a great resource, an extra resource, she could count on. And now, know, she's happily married. She should be, it was only yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) And I I gave the blessings. (laughs) It could be embarrassing. Anyhow, to actually to turn that sort of you know, the romantic idea of a relationship into something much more deep and spiritual. And of course you know all those stories which I said how that works. You just it's not about you. It's not about your partner. It's always about us in a very profound way. You know, you're meeting together, you're gonna live together, you're gonna suffer together, you're gonna have great joys together. Everything gets shared. And it's wonderful to know that it's all about us, not about me, not about you. It's one aspect of selflessness. It's something which I, first of all, it took me years to understand. Why do people, when they get married, want to have a spiritual blessing? Especially for monks. What do I know about marriage? I've been a monk for 49 years. But what I, what I do know about that is the spiritual aspect of your letting go of a lot of yourself when you get married. It's totally different than before you're just concerned about me and you have that freedom to come and go whenever you want. Now you're together. You're a lot of you, your sense of self and autonomy is disappearing. That's why there's always something spiritual there. It's not just sensual, it's a spiritual binding of you, With first of all your partner and then later, you know, your children. You have to disappear a lot when you have kids. But you wouldn't regret it. Why is that? Because when you abandon what I need, what I want, you get much more peace and freedom. I sometimes have been asking that. Why is it when somebody calls me or email, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you come around now? Can you give a talk at our centre? Can you teach a meditation retreat here? And even if I go over to teach meditation retreats, it's not just teaching meditation retreats, it's all the other stuff which happens on the side. People want a little bit of counselling, somebody has died or someone is sick with cancer, can I do something? And of course I'm very happy to do that. Why? Why do you get joy out of serving? And I'll tell you one story which I mentioned over in uh, Penang. There was this one time in our monastery in uh, Thailand, it was cited off as Wat Bar America Wat, because all the monks were American there except for me, I was a sixth monk, I was English. But nevertheless, after a while more monks came and so Ajahn Chah had to change the name to the International Monastery, Wat Ba Na in Thailand. But I remember just when we, we first went there, we were very strict with some of our traditions. One of that strictnesses was whenever anybody ordained as a monk, they had to make their own robes, a set of three robes themselves, out of white cloth, first of all, you had to measure it and sew it. That took a, a day or two, you know, like full on, just 16-18 hours a day. And then once it was made, then you had to dye it. And this was all done with natural dyes, no chemicals. So we would dye it from the, the sap which was derived from the wood of the jackfruit tree. So the villagers, whenever there was a jackfruit tree, had fallen down or during the storm, a big branch had fallen off, would always offer it to the monasteries. And once you had that jackfruit tree, it was a lot of work to turn that into dye. You know, you'd get these machetes, you had to sharpen the machetes, you cut yourself many times, but you had to be sharp until you learned how to chop that wood into little chips then we had to boil it to get the, the sap out of it and then to filter it and then to boil it some more until the dye became very strong and then we poured over the white cloth to, so it could take the dye and then when you were drying, you had to dye it many times to get the full brown color and then when you were drying that robe, you had to keep turning it otherwise it would streak This was actually a very long winded process and it was wonderful to see the way that these things were done in the old days when you didn't really have any chemicals, all done by natural products. And then there was these three monks who were about to ordain together and they were making their robes and they'd already been up two nights without sleep and even though I was young, you know, I, I know what it's like to go without sleep for you know, one night after another and then another and the rule was that you're not supposed to help them, they're supposed to do it by themselves, it's just a test of their commitment to be monks. But I had more compassion and wisdom, so I decided to, after the evening meeting, I went to the dying shed to give them a hand to help them. I shouldn't have done that, according to our monastic rules. But I thought, well, no one will know. And so I said, look, I'll look after the dye pot tonight. You go and take a rest. You know they never argued. They were <laughs> off. <laughs> they disappeared so quickly. <laughs> and I did all that work myself overnight. And in the morning, the, the, that monastery bell would always ring at 3am 3, 3 in the morning. We did have a monastery, we do have a monastery bell at Serpentine and that you know, was the first time we had it, we rang it then we thought, oh my goodness, this is so loud and neighbors will complain We did get a call from one of the neighbors after we stopped ringing it I said, why did you stop ringing it? We loved the sound of the bell even though they heard it at, 3, uh, at 4 a.m. in the morning in Perth or in Serpentine but nevertheless, it added a, a kind of A romantic, beautiful start to the day at 4 a.m. And I kind of was surprised at that, how much they loved it. But anyhow, when that three o'clock bell went in Thailand, the the monks came out by 3.15 to carry on the dying. Thank you, we had a good rest. And I was thinking I should go and take a rest too now. But I had so much energy. I went to the morning chanting. You may have heard some of the chanting here, before we started the meditation. Yo, so. But when I was chanting, Yo, so. I had so much energy, I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't chant softly. And that was surprising, I've been up all night. And then we did a quick clean up, and then we all went on arms round, and I expected to be half asleep. On arms round, having stayed up all night working hard, again I felt so clear, so energized. It was the most energized walking I'd done for years. And I had to ask someone, I confessed to the head monk there, I'm sorry, I broke the rules, I helped those monks last night out of kindness. And of course, you can't criticize someone for being kind. And anyhow, I said, but. That's not really why I'm confessing this to you. Why on earth did I get so much energy out of this? And I learned an important part of dhamma, of meditation. When you really help someone selflessly, there's nothing in it for you. You get a big boost of energy. I've made use of that all my life as a monk. I do things which you're really not supposed to do. You do go without sleep, you do help somebody, you do serve when you really shouldn't be. You're too old to do this, you should take it easy, To take a rest. Atyam Brahm you should retire. If I retire then I'll die. If I work my butt off, then my butt will last for so many more years. (laughs) Do you understand that? This is what you experience, you experience the energy when you disappear. Even in a marriage, when you have kids, when you let go for something much bigger than you Even when you volunteer for Buddhist Society of WA (laughs) Honestly, with the right attitude, with the beautiful sense, this is service I'm doing something good. And look, you don't, honestly Many of you don't realise the effect which all of you on the committees and on doing service actually do, you know, for the world. I receive all that sort of compliments when I go overseas. People come up and say, look, I needed to come to see you because, you know, you saved my life. I listen to you all the time. Without you I'd be, I'd be divorced, I'd be suicidal. I probably wouldn't be here anyway. I'm not making this up. You just hear this so often, and <laughs> even today, we had after our lunch. I was supposed to have a nice simple lunch and just uh, have a rest before coming over here. I've been very busy the last few days. I've never, I have never—I didn't even come back from Malaysia until uh, Wednesday morning, an overnight flight. So I should you know, be really worn out and tired. I was tired. But then all these people from Indonesia came. Are they here this evening from uh who came to see came today They did say they might come this evening, but anyway, when they came from Indonesia, there was about twenty or thirty of them, and of course you'd ex- I expected them all to take photos of you, first individual, then families, then the whole group that would took forever, even to the point you know you know. The word Satu Dua is, any Indonesians here? Uh, Satu Dua Is it's just one, two, three, I don't know much Indonesian but I know those words because that's when they're about to take a photograph, Satu Dua they have to say those words. And also they say in English, just one more. Never just one more, <laughs> it's heaps and heaps and heaps. But they're also asking questions They come all that way and they had to come to visit the monastery to talk with the monks. Your monks and nuns here are world famous. I don't know if you realise that. And they're all saying when they were talking, asking questions, you're very lucky to to come to Perth. If you tried this in Indonesia, you can't get close. That's kind of what it feels like sometimes. It's wonderful to be able to be of service, and that's just not me, that's all the other monks and nuns. You've got some very high quality sangha here in Perth. But anyhow, why do they do that? Why do they spend their holidays? Like, you know, the president, Ghysenya, she's not here today. Well, she is today. Ghysenya, the president of BSWA, also withdrew as well that they went down to have a nice retreat at uh, Jhana Grove. That's their holiday hideout. I shouldn't say that because uh, now you want to go down there. And if you go down there you understand why. It's peaceful. It's free. No responsibility. You can just relax and rest. You can get up in the morning, whatever time you want, or even just get up in the afternoon and forget about the morning. (laughs) You can meditate, you can hang out with the monks, ask all the questions, you can just have a walk. It's a beautiful place which is provided for you. How many places can you get like that? When I think about it, I mean you're incredibly fortunate. This is all, how much do you have to pay to go and stay at, at Jhana Grove? Zero. You have booking bond, but that's just an idea of a donation, you get that back if you want to. And you get that for free. That's amazing. Even like coming in here every Friday. How much do we charge for you to come in here and listen to these talks? All those stories. Okay, here we go. Line it up a bit. (coughs) People would telephone. How much do you charge on a Friday night to come into the, the hall to listen to a talk? And the answer is nothing. I remember this, I uh, was asked of me. No, you don't understand. How much do you have to pay to come in the hall to listen to a talk? said Zero. No, you don't get it. How many dollars and cents do I have to cough up to be able to get in the hall? Said nothing, you don't have to cough up anything. If you cough, you've got COVID, so please don't come. (laughs) Well, I never said that, but I just made it up. And then it was a beautiful moment when she paused this questioner. Now, she was being honest and serious. She didn't understand this beautiful teaching. Well, what do you guys get out of it then? And straight away, the question which came, the answer which came up in my head straight away, which I said, happiness. And I was being honest. It makes me feel so much happier when the doors are open, and just people can come in, they can ask whatever question they want, and they are accepted. That beautiful part of Buddhism, doing it all for free. You know what happens when we do it for free? Lots of people come in, later on in their life, they get generous and they just say, I really got so much out of this, it saved my life. You know, this is where I met my partner, this is where I found my cat. (laughs) And they realise it's benefit and this is how we, we get our money to pay our bills afterwards. It's a beautiful way of dealing with things. How many other places in the world? I like that. Even recently, when I went to over to UK, the main reason I went to UK was for the nuns' monastery. You know what I've been doing, what I've been up to, making some equity for monks and nuns, not just for monks. There's lots of monasteries for monks in the world. How many monasteries are there for nuns? You got Dhammasara, but that is weird, Dhammasara. No other. Country has a monastery like that in the forest tradition, and I want more of those. And (laughs) it reminds me of this, this story. Uh, Please excuse me. These stories. This is what motivates me and gives me passion. We know when we started Dhammasara many, many years ago that it was just an idea. Do you want a monastery for women in Perth? I asked people, I put it in our newsletter, please give us some feedback. And the resounding response was yes. So wanting is one thing, how do you get it? So we started off an account, we raised some money, I think we had about 30,000 in the bank, which is to get a monastery is not really enough. So we went and what happened was, because people had heard about it, that one day there was this guy, he rang up and said, you know, are you building a monastery for women? He said, well, we intend to, we're just raising the funds for it first. And he said that his wife had just given birth to her first child. He said, I'm a Buddhist, I want to support this. And so he said, can I come to the monastery? So he came to the monastery. And he wasn't dressed like a rich man, at all. he came in an old car and he said, I really want to support this. This is my first child, a girl. I want her to have the choice. I'm not going to force her. He was a Caucasian. I'm not going to force her to become a nun. But if she wants to, I want her to have the choice. And that'll be my gift for her first birthday, the day of her birth. And I thought that was a very beautiful reason. And so then he handed me a cheque in those days. (sighs) (laughs) $250,000. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Honestly, sometimes I get kind of excited. (laughs) If someone offers you a cheque for $250,000, of course your hand starts to shake. And I always remember that. He just did that as a gift. He hardly ever came he, I never saw him come here. He actually disappeared afterwards and I thought that was very weird. Because you know sometimes you have these stories of like heavenly beings just making sure things happen. And I thought there must be some heavenly being had materialized as a human being and suddenly appeared to make sure that women can have a monastery. But then uh, unfortunately because I said that story too many times, somebody found out he lives in Sydney now. <laughs> I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> but it is still inspiring that that was just, gave the boost. And so just when I was over in the UK, it's nice to see we have gave the boost to get a lovely monastery for the nuns, for Ayachanda and there, many other nuns will go there afterwards, just outside of Oxford, an incredibly beautiful property. And it's all just going so smoothly. And you just make, the, make it known to people, you don't ask for any money. I've never asked for any money, but it's amazing how many people have just come to the party. When I was in Malaysia, when I was in Singapore, 10,000 pound here, 10,000 pound there. <sighs> to me that's big money. And so many people, not just women, men, there was one lady, she was a Catholic. And she said, no, I want to see this happen. She was in from Penang, so she donated 20,000. I kind of can't believe that. It's the beauty of human beings. When I'm part of that, it makes me inspired. Inspired in people's goodness. Because when those things happen, then you see these beautiful monasteries, you can go there and visit whenever you go through UK and see just these beautiful places we've built. And this is also, you may not know this, but this is really historic. First time in know, over 2000 years, you have places where women can practice as deeply and as freely as men have done. And it's great that, you know, people in Perth have started that off and we've made it happen in many places in the world and of course it's growing. (laughs) So, whenever I see funerals, they always talk about what you've done in your life. What have you actually made a difference with? And that's one thing which I'm very satisfied with, all the people and all the people who have helped. This is 40 years I've been in Perth now, as a monk. This is my 49th year as a monk. So I want to give those years meaning. You're not just a monk for an easy life. It's not just so I can eat and sleep and not do any work and not have any responsibilities and duties. I don't know, I just can't do that. You want to make your life have some meaning. Have something where you can make a difference in this world. Of course that's what I choose. And each, Each one of you, please make a difference in your life, whatever you're doing. Make it so that you can use your life, your friends, your influence, whatever it is, to make this world a more beautiful place, a more accepting place. You know, with LGBTQIAC, you know what C means, don't you? Cats. <laughs> 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 I know sometimes people are allergic to cats, oh fair enough. But even animals, you just love those little animals. Even at the wedding, there was a little bird who was always flying around. I thought it was very auspicious. And sometimes you see these weird things happening and you think this animal kingdom is not so different. Kingdom? Why did I say that? See how much I've been conditioned by my upbringing. Why don't we call it animal queendom? (laughs) Or, (laughs) I don't know, kingdom, animal democracy, I don't know, animal republic. (laughs) But anyhow, it's wonderful when we can uh, have the teachings of animals. And th- some of these animals have taught me so much. <sighs> we, we had a, a cat over in Bodhinyana Monastery so many years ago. But unfortunately it was always killing too many of the, the wildlife in the bush. So somebody suggested, well you have to put a bell on it. And then we did some research, found out the only bell which would actually stop it from uh, catching animals was the big uh, one-meter-high bell, which we used in the morning to (laughs) to rig the the big brass bell, which weighed a ton. So we can't do that to a poor cat. So you know what we did to it? This is that old story. These are magic stories, which makes you really respect of some of the animals which are in our city. This cat was called Kit Kat, not a very uh, innovative name, but that's what we called it. It was born in Bodhinyana Monastery. We found it as a little kitten in a log, born from a feral cat. And so we, it was such a cute cat and trusted everybody. I don't know how you can throw it away or just find another home, you know, it had a home with the monks. And anyway, because it, as it grew up, it was really smart, but you know, it was catching too many little uh, birds and I don't know, other things at night time it was catching. But so we decided it doesn't belong in the forest, so we had to take it. One of our members here said she could adopt it. So, you know, I know, I did feel guilty when I got the little cat. It trusted me. And so I got it and put it in a bag, tied the bag up and put it in this woman's car in the plate where your, place where your feet go in the back. You couldn't see anything. It had only, we'd taken it to the vet in Byford once, that was as far as it had gone. That's only a few kilometres north of the monastery. It had never been in the city at all. This was the first time. And this lady, she kept it in her house for three or four days to accustom it to its new home. She was just so kind. And I really thought that you know this cat knew it had probably got a much nicer home, didn't need to to chase for any food to get given the best food in the world in uh, Chrissy Banks' home, and she actually changed her name now. But anyhow, one hot afternoon, she gave me a call. I was on duty here that weekend. I picked up the phone and she said I'm terribly sorry Ajahn Brahm, but I opened the door of my house to let the cat have some exercise this morning and it made a beeline or a cat line for the gate and just went right through, and I chased after it. This was in the suburb of Watermans, you know where Watermans is? Yeah, it's, you know, it's by the beach, it's about, I think it's about six kilometres from here, I think, that's where the crow flies. So, she let it loose, it ran out of the garden gate, she ran after it, got in her car, looked for it, couldn't find it, so she gave me a call, Ajahn jumped, I'm terribly sorry but your cat's run away. And she, she said that maybe it will go back to monastery, find its own way there. Because sometimes cats do that. But This was much more clever than that. When she called, I said, you don't have to worry. Because I was just outside the door of this vihara Meow. Meow, <laughs> And It was on the other side of the door. I opened the door and it ran in. You could recognize it was Kit Kat. Two hours it took from Watermans to Nolamara. It had never known the way. It didn't have any GPS, couldn't ring the RAC, couldn't ask for directions, couldn't read a map. It had never been in Perth before in its life. And I had washed my robe that morning, so don't say it was a smell. <laughs> And many of you know that story, and was that pretty accurate, Dennis? Yeah. You're very good, yeah. So, it found me. But I always remember its poor It was so hot, and it was like a really hot summer's day. It didn't have any socks or shoes on, it just ran along the roads. And it somehow or other it crossed the, um, the Quint- not the Quinana. The Mitchell Freeway, somehow, other—I don't know how, where—and it came straight here. And Chrissy, who phoned me, couldn't believe. I don't believe you. Is this one of your jokes? <laughs> no, it's here. And I gave it. You recognised it. Gave it so many sources of milk that then the poor thing was dehydrated. She drank, 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 drank and then she weed all over one of the monks' cushions. (laughs) Remember, that? art doesn't matter, we can wash the cushion. So little Kit Kat earned its place in the monastery. So it's a waste of time just taking it anywhere, so we we took it back and just asked it, please don't kill so many birds. It had made its way there and just, how on earth did it find me? in sort of six kilometers, sometimes these things, you can't explain them through science. It makes no sense at all. But nevertheless, that's a true story. And those sorts of things, I love those type of stories because that makes our life much more warm, much more interesting, and it adds another level to how we're living. Please don't just think of even, I've got a doctor right in front of me, of medical ways of doing things. Sometimes you see people get well and they're not supposed to get well. You see people become alive and they're not supposed to be alive. You see all sorts of weird stuff happening in this world and even animals. And you can only say this is because that relationship we built up over so many years with that little cat, ever since it was a kitten. All that relationship we built up with that young Sri Lankan girl, which was only four or five, until the time she gets married. And just what a great advantage that would be for her. And just, it's not just that, that later on when she has kids, I hope I'm stood around to inspire her kids and let them just soak up some of the beautiful energies here. There's another way of teaching. It's not just teaching facts, you can get that on YouTube, you can get that on a university but there's something different when there's a practice of kindness, a practice of forgiveness, a practice of like even trust in how your own body works. One of the other things, I'm just saying this because people kept on asking me the same question when I was teaching meditation, they said sometimes when they meditate their body turns. What's going on? I didn't choose to do that. Or sometimes they get hot spots in the body, the back gets really warm. What's going on? Are we being possessed? No, it's not like that at all because one of those times, this lady got into such a weird position, her body was really twisted. And every time I relate that story, I'm not going to demonstrate how she looked. If I did, I'd have to go to the hospital, you have to call an ambulance for me, it would just break so many bones and twist. It was really extreme. And so I was actually disturbed, tapped on the shoulder by one of her friends. Please Ajahn Brahm, look at her. This is really serious. And took one look at her and it was. She was twisted at an impossible angle but she seemed at peace. So I just waited for her to come out of her meditation. And when she did come out and you know, she twisted back into place again, I said, Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Wh- why are you asking? And then I realised who was a stupid one? Me. And you know what I asked next? Because I've been a monk, and meditation teacher for so many years. You do get some understanding of what's going on. And I said to her, when did you have your car accident? And I remember her looking at me, ah, it really is true. You do have psychic powers at your bum. You can't deny it anymore. I never told you I had a bad car accident. <laughs> and I sort of replied to her, look, it was just pretty obvious. When you were meditating, you really twisted around, was I? Yeah, you were. I'm not going to demonstrate it to you because it would make me sick. But I said, because you did that, you probably feel so good now. Yeah, she said, I feel just so much more free and relaxed than I've been in ever since the car accident. She was actually lucky to survive that. I said, this is what the body does. Because, you know, you were in a peaceful meditation, you didn't notice your body twisting around. And it did that, because that's what the body needed. It told you, rather than you telling it, what's good for it. And as it twisted around, then energy could flow to some of those places which were blocked off. Healing energy. You always have these warm spots. And afterwards, when you come out, you feel, oh, it's so good. It's like having chiropractor or uh, physiotherapy. But this, the body does it itself. And I've seen that so many times. And that's one of the reasons why you get inspired as something goes on when this letting go and this meditation is being kind and gentle to your body and the body looks after itself in a beautiful way. So because of that, that's one of the reasons why you have this, this trust in something even more deep than our common sense more profound than just what we can read out of books you actually see this happening and it's beautiful to see This is one example of this. Get you some sort of understanding. With that man Bernard, I was saying, which I went to go and hang out with over in this conference in Singapore, we were members of the Psychic Research Society. We'd go investigating ghosts. We'd do all these crazy experiments. Let's find out why weird things happen. And anyhow. On one of those occasions, you know with, i just forgotten the symbol I was going to say now. One of those occasions uh, with uh, Bernard, we were wondering sort of how even communications between people happen. We had lots of evidence of people. If somebody does die on the other side of the world, you know there's something wrong. Remember just this one one of the best examples was in an article written in the Melbourne, uh, Melbourne Age newspaper on the weekend, there was a doctor, sorry, yeah, was a, yeah was, well, he was a doctor and he was single and he was invited to um, a, a weekend party in the country. So he was driving along perfectly healthy It was a couple of hours' drive, and halfway on the journey, he was just overcome unexpectedly by so much grief and sadness. No reason for it. And it was so strong, he had to park by the side of the road and cry his eyes out for no reason. Nothing had happened, which he knew about. And he cried and cried and cried. He was incompetent of driving. And so, you know, he relaxed himself and half an hour later or so he could drive to the venue, the party venue in the country of, uh, outside of Melbourne. And once he was there he found out what happened. At that very moment he burst into tears. His dear pet dog had run out onto the street and was hit by a car and died. And there was no way of him knowing that but he could feel the grief and it it was so strong, he had to stop, cry, he was incapable of driving, he didn't know why. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it happens to many people. Something happens somewhere in the world to someone or some pet who we love very much and you know that something's happened. And he was a very reputable doctor, quite well known, and so he wrote that article, it was published, to show this is some of the things which happen in life. How can Kit Kat know where I am? How do you know that something's happened? How does your body know exactly what to do to try and heal some of the injuries which modern medicine can't even tackle? Why does that happen? A lot of times it is because our mind is very strong. The story I was going to say say earlier was that one of the experiments which was done over in our Psychic Research Society is hypnotising people. And they got this one student hypnotised. Actually this was not what I saw but which I saw the article about. And they convinced him under hypnosis that they had a four inch nail on the end of a stick. They said this is red hot. And under hypnosis, you can believe that even though it didn't look red, it appeared to him as red hot. In his, because it was, he was hypnotized to think like that, and they touched that metal on his arm, and a blister came up. I expected him to sh- shout in pain, but I never expected to actually to see the blister appear where that metal had touched his arm. I thought that was really weird. Because the the nail was just ordinary temperature. Have you ever seen that, Dennis? Because this here. But then I thought, wow, what created that burn? It was just a belief. The mind had created that. And from that day on, I thought, well, if you can create a wound like that, why can't you use your mind to heal a wound? Why can't you use your mind to shrink a tumor? It gave me the ideas, you know, why can't we, when we train our mind and make it strong and kind and powerful, why can't we use that? You know, to find our friends who may be the other side of Perth, when you're a little cat, they can do that. Please never underestimate the power of your mind. Even the Buddha kept on saying that again and again and again. Here, in a place like this, we train our minds. We train them in the meditation, in inspiration, in kindness, to have really, really powerful minds. And I had to say this so many times to people over in Penang, please don't be scared of the power of your mind. Because sometimes people, they stop their meditation, this is a bit too much for me. No, please develop that mind, it's powerful, it's beautiful, and it's so helpful for you and all the loved ones and everybody actually. So anyway, it's uh, 10 to 9 now so I will stop my t- talking and opening it up for questions anyone who wishes to ask. I don't know what you call this talk today, the power of the mind or whatever. It started off in one direction and the cat came in but I don't mind that. The cat talk. So, anyone got any questions about what I've been talking about today? Okay, got anyone on the internet? Okay, thank you. Okay, from Tom, is that sure for Tomcat? Cat? <laughs> from, from Czech Republic. <laughs> Dear Ajahn, we all sometimes feel agitated or annoyed for no apparent reason. It is easy to forget to be kind to others and oneself. Do you just meditate in such times to overcome this? Or anything else we can do to be kind again? Like, you know, kind is like breathing. You always have to remember to breathe. You know, even if you're underwater, come up a bit so you can take some air. And so, to me, like kindness to the heart, is like air to the lungs. If you can't find nice kindness to breathe into your heart, it's like you know, you get so asphyxiated and you get quite so sickly. So it is true, I am addicted to many things. I'm addicted to kindness, I don't think I can live without it. Addicted to peace. I think I'd go crazy without it, addicted to the beautiful forgiveness you can give. I didn't mention it but that was one of the most important stories I told at the wedding. Please I made them promise that once every year, close to their anniversary, just the two of them, find time to have a dinner or lunch or even afternoon snack somewhere, just the two of you and do the forgiveness ceremony, you're married, you're sure to do some things which really upset your partner. So you say, by body, by speech or mind, if there's anything I've done over the past year which has hurt you, irritated you, or things I didn't do which I should have done, please forgive me and mean it. And if somebody actually asks forgiveness, with sincerity. You can't refuse it, you have to say I forgive you and then the other partner does the same in return, whatever I've done, body, speech or mind, which has hurt you, please forgive me too. It's like an honesty, which is what relationships should really be built on. It's a respect, not expectation the other person is going to be perfect. No expectation, you're perfect. You admit your faults, ask forgiveness for them. Then you find that those faults get less and less and less and something else as trust grows between people. It grows between you and your cat. It grows between you and your body and your life. You have a much more beautiful time. So anyway, that's, sorry Tom. Richard from Bolivia, out of delusion, I would lie. I would lie. The blood cleansed the ain't blood. Even they said me it was a dangerous because of my medication. What, what I did was only lying or killing, but I wanted to make merit. Yet sometimes it's great to be able to make merit and you know, make good karma, help others. But, you know, sometimes uh, you know if you did give your blood and then somebody else got sick or died as a result of it then if you found out that with all the goodness and kindness you did would all be kind of washed away with guilt if you came to me and said what you did, i said, "Look, I forgive you but just don't do that again, it's dangerous. There's so many lovely ways you can make good karma and I don't know why the more medication you're taking but I sometimes that. You let the nurses or doctors know if you want to give blood. Apparently there's so many different ways you can make use of the blood, you use it for for plasma or whatever. And so, if you really want to do good karma, you have to be honest first of all, otherwise it causes too many problems for others. But I admire your sort of courage to, to want to give blood, but find other ways you can be of service and help, as best you possibly can. Sometimes people ask for blood, and sometimes they really know it's really dangerous. Sometimes I think people get a bit too cautious. Sometimes that I'm sometimes rebellious against all the cautious things you should be doing. Maybe just the kindness, a little bit more kindness, should be acknowledged. But Richard in Bolivia, try and find some other ways which are not so dangerous. Yes, and don't lie to the blood clinic. And Travis, can I ask whether repeated unskillful mistakes due to lack of discipline should be forgiven on the Buddhist path? And the answer, of course, I think you all know, is yes. That's why I think a wife once asked me, husband was cheating on her, how many times should I forgive him? And my answer was one more time. Always one more time. But sometimes I said, "Well, actually Bob, you've never been married, you don't know what it's like. So I repeated it, always one more time. It's not just forgiveness, it's also the case. I said in the end, well put your husband on parole, which means, you know, you say, this is a warning, six months I have to check all of your emails, or on all your passcodes. If I doubt anything, you have to give a full explanation and don't question me. So right, that's parole and if you fulfil that for 6 months a here and make sure that you really do love me and have changed, then we can go back to normal as husband and wife again. So that was an, an, an addition to forgiveness. Put the partner who had offended on parole, but don't execute him. Because sometimes, why did you marry that person? There's always something beautiful in there somewhere. You can see that again. And then there's the reason to behave. From TT, when we have pure intention to do good to others, some people will still think negatively on us. Sometimes I try to ignore those comments or feelings, but it still annoys me. How to deal with this? Ah, great. Thank you for coming in. You know, sometimes people will will criticise me, Ajahn Brahm, there's notices everywhere, we shouldn't have a cat in here. Well, well, I didn't bring it, it came in by itself, not my problem. Where would it go? It's on the shrine? Ah, excellent. Yeah, hi. You're welcome. It's not your problem. Yeah. <laughs> just as you said, it's not your problem, it becomes... Yeah, excellent. <laughs> you can stay there. It becomes no problem at all. Yeah, indeed, yeah. So when people feel negative about you, I mean, just when we <laughs> gave the first... <laughs> I'm not going to give up talking, not looking at me or making any attention? <laughs> <irritation. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so, so excellent. So anyway, cat one day, I hope you learn the beautiful kindness. He's a very nice cat. So have that kindness. You know, there was another cat here years ago, and always come here on a Saturday because you get petted by everybody, and so it's rare to get that in your house. And then one day on a Saturday afternoon, I was sitting there, the cat was playing with everybody, and that was when he got a phone call. The actual owner was just round the back here. She said, is my cat over there? I said, yeah, it's here every Saturday afternoon. It's a very good meditator. (laughs) And she said, I'm moving house today, can I come and collect my cat? I said, well, of course. So she came in, and when she came in through those double doors in the reception area, the cat saw her and then ran right onto my lap. Sanctuary, sanctuary. (laughs) Well, they can't do that, so I said goodbye to the cat and she took it to a new house. Anyway, so anyway, that's enough cat stories. Okay, so now we should actually uh, end for today. I'm sorry for any other questions which I didn't finish uh, answering, but I was. (coughs) The cat took all the attention away. (laughs) So we can now pay respect to the Buddha by bowing three times. Buddha, Savanagachami. you're not bound to the cat, you're bound to the compassion of the Buddha. Sadhu, 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 sadhu. I missed it. Arahant, Samasambudho, Bhagava. Bagawan ta Abiwa demi suakato Bagawata damo Dama namasami supati pano Bagawato sapuakasango namami